Welcome to Pathway to Faith Podcast, the media ministry of Harvest Church International Outreach, where we elevate and nurture families through the Word of God. We are so glad that you are here and believe that God will change your life through today's message. Let's listen. Uh, Let's go to John 16, verse 33. John 16, verse 33. And I'm going to read out of the... uh, Yeah, if I can have it in the New Living Translation, please. All right, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Now, who's speaking over here? Jesus. Yes, Jesus is speaking. Now, there's another translation there uh, that says that the common English uh, Bible, in the common English Bible, it says that I've said this thing to you so that you will have peace in me. In the world, you will have peace distress, distress, but be encouraged because I have conquered the world. My message tonight is the cure for distress, the cure for distress. Distress is defined as a feeling of extreme worry sadness or pain, exhausted or weakened with strain, troubled. So when we talk about this distress, you know, when, when uh, an airplane is in trouble, the captain send a distress call. Mayday, mayday, mayday. An SOS, it's a distress call. When a ship is in the ocean and is in trouble, it sends a distress call. A distress. Distress can be caused by unexpected crisis, adversity, and frankly, the daily pressure of life can cause distress. Now, in 1 Samuel 30, chapter 6, it tells us that David was greatly distressed. It says that now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. David was distressed. Because the people wanted to stone him. The people wanted to kill him. Circumstances of life were weighing on him so much that he was in a state of distress. Again, distress is being worried, saddened, or feeling extreme pain. Distress is actually a very common feeling. And and you know... the church can be sometimes judgmental because when people sometimes feel distress, we attribute that as a lack of faith. 
But distress has nothing to do with a lack of faith. Distress is a feeling. And guess who gave us feelings? God himself gave us feeling. In fact, let's go to Mark 14.33. Mark 14.33. And we're going to make this, I'm going to make this very clear to you. That distress has nothing to do with your lack of faith. Mark 34, uh, yes. Okay, so he says, he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply, what? Oh, wait a minute. Who is he that we're talking about here in Mark 14, Jesus. He, Jesus, beca- began to be deeply distressed and troubled. So much so that he says in the next verse, let's go in the next verse. He says, Mark 14, 33 uh, and 34. Anyway, I'll read it for you. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, I don't know about you, but to the point of death, that's a level of distress right there. That Jesus Christ himself experienced distress. When you face distress, do you choose God or do you ignore him? When you face distress, how do you handle the feeling of distress? Proverbs 1 verse 27 says that distress can give us a sense of being overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with distress. In Psalm 77 verse 4, David is so overwhelmed by distress that he doesn't even know how to think, even how to pray. How many have ever been, I I mean that's me. I've been so distressed that I don't even know what the words to say in prayer. Distress has has just gripped me so much that I'm pretty much frozen. And I don't even know what to tell God at that point. We all have a tendency to magnify and exaggerate the source of our distress. What do I mean by that? We have a tendency to imagine constantly an unfavorable outcome when situations of life comes against us. We have a tendency to be even more distressed than really the thing that's plaguing you, you making it even bigger than what it really is. Um, Psychologists have a saying for that. They call it catastrophic thinking. So what does that mean? Catastrophic thinking is a um, cognitive distortion that occurs when people have a hard time weighing the likelihood of certain outcomes. They believe that terrible of a catastrophic outcome is highly likely when it's actually unlikely to happen. So they constantly think that things are going to get worse than what they truly are. So, so the, the, the company says that, you know what, we're going to start shutting down. We're laying off people. And they're literally going around and telling you that, man, 
They say that they're, gonna, they're thinking about laying off people, but instead of saying they're thinking about laying off people, they say, man, the company is about to lay me off tomorrow, and, and I'm probably going to lose my job tomorrow. They're literally thinking worse than what it truly is. They say that, oh, the economy, they t turn on the news and they tell you the economy, we're probably going to enter in recession. And they literally go back home and try to figure out, calling, man, how, how are we going to go? Because, man, the recession, we in re recession. I said the, 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 the country may enter into recession, but they go straight to we are in recession because of catastrophic thinking. So, <laughs> even in the Bible, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19. And, and I'm going to kind of, so 1 Kings chapter 19, I'm, I'm going to actually quickly go through because I'm given a limited amount of time. I've got about 20 minutes left with you all. So let me go through this. In 1 Kings chapter 19, it talks about Elijah. And we see that here that Elijah uh, had just, I mean, did something miraculous. He had a showdown on the Mount Carmel. Okay. And after that showdown in Mount Carmel, we see that uh, he, he take off running because he's fleeing Jezebel. He's exhausted. He's discouraged. He is distressed. He is so distressed that he says to the people, <laughs> man, this is so funny to me. Elijah is so distressed that he says to God, he said, I am the only one left who is faithful. Catastrophic thinking. He said, I am the only one left who is faithful. Where in actuality, there was about 7,000 faithful people left. And God was still totally in control of the situation. But the fear, the, the, the pain, the, the worry of everything that was happening and Jezebel who was after him, I mean, took him to the place where he's like, man, I'm the only one left, God. Where there was actually 7,000 7, other faithful people there. Catastrophic thinking. Distress will cause you to lean and to operate in catastrophic thinking. Now, that's not how God desires us to live. God does not desire us to live in distress. He does not desire us to be overwhelmed. That is not the will of God for you and I. Jesus teaches us that to take life one day at a time and not to worry. In Matthew 6, Jesus teaches us, verse 25 to 34, to take life one day at a time. How often have we allowed our fears, our worries to take over our minds so much so that we can't even foresee a positive outcome? See, the word worry I love, I love the study of words. I really do. Uh, growing up, so I grew up in the Congo, Central Africa. And we spoke, um, so you had native languages and so forth, but the official language is French. So I grew up speaking French. I learned some native language, two of them, Lingala, Chiluba, that are spoken there. I went to school, started learning uh, I took Latin, I took 
about two years of Latin. And, and while taking Latin, and I, uh, I realized and I, that a lot of the words in French, which actually s a lot of words in English as well, find their root in Latin. And studying Latin, I came to realize that if I understood the etymology of the word, it gave me a better understanding of what people were trying to say. And so when the Bible says that life and death is in the power of the tongue, for me it became even more powerful because I understand a word, what a word means in English, that same word maybe can be used in French and means something totally different. And so the, the choice and the use of words is, is critical and, and is key. And when you look at the word worry, it finds its roots in the Old English. And that word initially meant strangle. I know, it makes you look at that word totally different, huh? When you say, if you say, I'm worried. <laughs> Man, so you're saying, I'm strangled. And that word changed over time to mean first to harass and then to cause anxiety. But its original meaning was to strangle. We are not here, I know I'm talking a lot about distress because I want you to, to, to realize that it, in, it is really, it saddens me when I look at the church. And when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about this building. I'm really talking about you and I because we are the church. And what saddens me is that when I look at the church today, um, be in America, be in Africa, be in Europe, you, you name, wherever around the world, is that we have gotten to a place where we are comfortable in our distress. We have literally got to a place where we, we are at ease in our distress, where God has never intended for us to live in distress. And so you wonder why people have ulcers in their stomach while people have high blood pressure. All of these things that are plaguing your body, these illness that are plaguing your body, it is because God never intended for you to function in distress. Amen? And Sunday we talked about God's faithfulness, right? And I'm here to share with you that the antidote and the cure for the distress is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. This is a class, right? Bible study. So let's quickly review what we talked about Sunday. And I'm going to quickly go over some of the nuggets that we talked about Sunday. So the first nugget we talked about on Sunday was faithfulness is God's nature. Now, you're going to see how I'm about to tie that. You know, we talked about distress, and you're like, okay, you said, you know, uh, the antidote, the cure is God's faithfulness. We're going to get there. So, faithfulness is God's nature. 
And then we talked about the second nugget was that God always acts in accordance to who he is. God always acts in accordance to who he is. We also mentioned about how no generation is exempt from experiencing the faithfulness of God. And that's probably something that excites me about the next generation. Is that as God has been faithful to us, God promised he will be just as faithful with the next generation, with our children, with our grandchildren. Amen? The faithfulness of God is motivated by compassion or motivated by his love for us. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3.16. God's faithfulness is also marked by his consistency. We talked about how God, we, you can look at nature itself to see how consistent God is. And if you notice how God allows things to happen always at the same time, do we talked about the sun who's that stays up in the sky, rises up, comes down. It, that shows God's faithfulness. Amen? And faithfulness demands faithfulness. If God was this yesterday, was faithful yesterday, it demands that he be faithful to us today. Amen? And that he be faithful to us tomorrow because faithfulness demands faithfulness. So God's faithfulness is a powerful source of strength and comfort during times of distress. It assures us that he is present and he will never leave us nor forsake us, regardless of the circumstances that you are facing. God's faithfulness is unwavering. It's unconditional. God's faithfulness, we talked about Sunday, it's not like a contract. God's faithfulness towards you is based on his covenant with you. So it's not based on did you do right, did you not do right. No, he is faithful because he's standing by his covenant. Amen? So, so when things come against you that distress you, you can't start questioning his faithfulness. Or start wondering, man, maybe it's because I did A, B, C, and that's why I'm, 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 I'm suffering all of these things. No, lean on God's faithfulness. Amen? Throughout history, God's faithfulness has been demonstrated in so many, many various ways. We saw God take the children of Israel out of Egypt. He took them through the wilderness and to the promised land fulfilling prophecy. But even we see another prophecy is that God promised a savior. And he showed his, his, remember we talked about how God is literally searching for what he said to bring to pass. God prophesied that a savior was coming. And if you really look throughout biblical history, can you imagine how many young boys died because God's promise had not manifested yet? Think about it for a minute. Jesus was the promised one. 
But we see that when Moses, here's how the devil is. The devil was looking for that Jesus throughout biblical history. So when Moses was born, I believe, I believe that the devil was thinking, is this the Savior? So he did everything to kill Moses that his mom had to put him in the thing and put him on the thing. Because he was wondering, is this the one that God, God, God said that was coming? He was not yet the Savior. I mean, he was one that was used to pull, that God used to bring the children out of Israel, but he was not the Savior of the world. And even when, and you, we see the same thing happen when Jesus arrived on the scene. You know, uh, uh, Herod went and sent, I mean, kids were killed because he, the devil was seeking the Savior, trying to kill him. So, but God's faithfulness, God's faithfulness to his word, he kept his word and fulfilled prophecy. God's faithfulness is not limited to individual or groups. Sometimes we look at our pastor standing here making declaration and speaking the word and we're like, man, the kind of faith he has. And God is so faithful to pastor. God is so faithful to Dr. Howe. God is so faithful to Minister Jones. God is so faithful to Minister Gravney. God is so, but God is just as faithful to you. He is no respecter of person or a group of people. He's not just faithful to the children of Israel. He is faithful to you. Amen? He'd extend, his faithfulness extends to everyone who seeks him. Everyone who seeks him. He's always present, trustworthy, reliable, a guide to help us through life's ups and downs. Amen? God's faithfulness can be found in his unconditional love, his mercy, as well as his constant guidance and provision. Another thing is that God's faithfulness is not bound by time. It, it's not limited to a certain period in time that where God is like, you know what? I'm going to be faithful to you from the 1st of September and we'll stop on the 15th. No. He's not bound by time. <sighs> That's why if you, 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 you are incurring tribulation, trouble right now, it's just for a moment. See, God is not bound by the time. By you, you're like, God, I need you to act right now. I need you to act right now. And I've been there where I'm like, God, if you don't act today, and the day come and go by, and I'm like, I said today, God. But then two, three days later, God shows up, intervene, and you're like, man, God, you were right on time. Because he's not bound by your time. He's always on time. But his time, it's not my time. And oftentimes, uh, 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 we struggle with that aspect because we try to take the almighty God who lives outside of time and we try to put it in the confound of our time. His faithfulness is not limited. 
or bound by time. It transcends generation. If he didn't finish what he needed to do in you, he will because he promised that he was going to do it, it's going to move on to the next generation. Because he's going to make sure that his word come to pass. It doesn't matter how many generations. It doesn't matter how many generations he has to go through. His word, Isaiah 55, will not return to him void until he has accomplished everything he was sent to do. See, for him to, to not do that and to deny himself of doing that, it will be against his nature. And his nature is to be faithful. Faithfulness is God's nature. Amen? So you see, faithfulness is literally at the cornerstone of the character of God. It's a reflection of his kindness, of the fact that he is trustworthy. So regardless of the circumstances that you may go through, regardless of what's happening in the world, you can find peace and assurance to know that God is faithful and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? He will never waver on his promises. His promises are yea and amen. So I'm going to give you now some quick practical steps. And it's five practical steps that will demonstrate to you how God's faithfulness can help us overcome distress. The first step when you are in distress is to remember God's promises. The Bible is full of promises of God's faithfulness. In Isaiah 41.10, God promises to be with us, strengthen us, and help us in times of fear. It says, so do not fear, for I am. And it, every time I, I, I see I am, when, when uh, Moses asked God to, to, you know, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them I am. So anytime you see God says I am, what I want you to do, because when he told him, he said, who, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them I am sent me. I am meant whatever you want me to be to you, I am that. So in whatever distress you may be going through today, he says in Isaiah 41.10, do not fear for I am with you. So what... I am with you. So if you need healing, he says to you, so do not fear for healing is with you. If you need deliverance, he says, do not fear, do not be in distress because deliverance is with you. Whatever you need, I am. Whatever is plaguing you, is, is causing you distress, change I am and put that, that deliverance, that freedom that you need is with you. Do not be dismayed for healing is with you because I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. So when, you, when, when, when afflictions of life are starting to come, 
Start remembering God's promises. Start remembering what he said in his word. Let's go uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we'll read verse 8 and 9. And this is Apostle Paul. So he's writing a letter to uh, the church of Corinth. It is believed that when he was writing this letter, that he was actually in Ephesus. And while in Ephesus, um, he encountered a lot of... um, he encountered a lot of opposition. And so much so that when he's writing this letter, he's kind of sharing a little bit about what's happening with him in Ephesus to the church of Corinth, who was great supporter of, of his ministry. So he says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble." we went through in the province of Asia. And this is in today's modern East Turkey. He said, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. And we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and start relying on God who raises the dead. So here we see Paul saying that, listen, we were in distress. I mean, we were in strong distress to the point that we, were so, we felt so crushed, so overwhelmed by everything that was happening, by the attack, by the accusation that was coming towards us, that we actually thought that these people were going to kill us. We didn't think we were going to survive this. I mean, to the point that we expected, come on, Paul, the one that God has used to write a little bit over half of the New Testament, he says, I expected to die. That's the level of distress he was in, that he expected to die. And he said, the, the, the pressure was so much so that he realized that, man, if I don't stop relying on myself and start relying on God, because he is the one who raised the dead. So he started thinking and remembering God's faithfulness. The second key to uh, overcoming distress is trusting in God's character. Again, we, talk, we mentioned about how God's character is described as in the Bible as unchanging. Uh, his character uh, in the Bible is, is a character of mercy, of compassion, of love. His unchanging nature, the unchanging nature of God, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It gives us a confidence that he will always be faithful. You can, re- you can bank on it that he will always be faithful. Not because you are so good, but he is faithful because of the, his own integrity. 
God will, his own integrity demands that he be faithful. Amen? In Psalm 33, 4, it says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. Not some of the thing he does. In all that he does, he is faithful. By knowing and believing in his character, we can find rest in times of distress. Amen? He is dependable. He is dependable. And he will never change. Seek, uh, the third key is seeking God's presence in prayer. Now, when we are facing distress, distressing circumstances, we can turn to God in prayer, in his presence. That same chapter uh, that we were reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul is talking to the church of Corinth, he even talked to them about prayer and how they've been praying for him and how they found strength in the fact that they were praying for them. So seeking God's presence in prayer is key to experiencing freedom from distress. In Psalms 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge. He is our strength, a very present help in times of trouble or distress. By spending time in prayer, pouring out your heart to God and seeking his guidance, we can experience God's faithfulness firsthand and find peace in his presence. Amen? The, man, my time is almost out here. Uh, four, reflecting on past faithfulness. So another way to be reminded of God's faithfulness is to reflect on how he's been faithful in the past in your own life. The Bible, again, is f- constantly filled of stories of faithfulness to his people. But you can gain confidence when you start not only thinking about how he's been faithful to somebody else, but when you pause and start reflecting of, man, man, God, you've been faithful to me. Man, God, you've been faithful to me. Man, I'm thinking of times in my life when... I really didn't think God could show out and show through, show show out and come through for me. There was a time, so I wasn't born in this country. I'm what you would call an immigrant in this country. And there's a time where I was in a situation where I could have literally been asked to leave this country. And my family and I were really at uh, a position where it was like, man, do we need to pack and leave on our own? Or do we need to wait for somebody to come knock at the door and say, you got to go, man. You got to be out. And I remember you talk about distress. You got a wife, you got children. And now you start wondering, man, if they ask me to leave, what happens to my wife and my children? What, what, what happened? How do, how do we function? How, how do we make this happen? 
And so I'm start looking. I'm like, you know what? We we're just gonna look at moving. We're gonna get, leave the country. We're just gonna go somewhere else to make these things easy. And I remember speaking to my man of God, and that's why it's important to to have a man of God who can see and who can hear. And I remember going to him because I was in distress, so much so that I couldn't pray for myself, so much so that I couldn't even ask God to do anything because I'm like, man, I don't know. God, I'm the only one faithful. I'm the only one left. And, uh, but he said to me, he said, son, you're not going anywhere. He said, God is faithful. And I remember him just saying that and he left it to that. He said, God is faithful. And actually, that's not all he said. And he, he said, he did not bring you this far to let you fall on your face. I'm saying to you, God is faithful. No matter what you're going through, he has not brought you this far to let you fall on your face. And, and long story short, I'm, <laughs> I'm taking a shower one day and I'm like, uh, and I, I mean, I heard God as clear as day, say, call the lawyer, tell the lawyer to file all the paperwork. I'm like, what? And, it, and that was it. There was no more, no other word. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. The lawyer said, it's not time to file this, the political environment and all of that. This is not the season. This is not the time. And I'm like, I called my wife. I, no, I went to my wife. I said, I believe I heard from God. He said, file the paper. So I called the lawyer. I said, man, enter the paper. The lawyer is like, I don't know. I, I, I don't, this is not the time to do that. I strongly, you know, s recommend that we do not do that right now. You know, let's wait a little bit. I'm like, mm -mm. file the paperwork. And so the lawyer is like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to file the paperwork, but it's probably, you're probably not going to get an answer and you're probably not going to be called for at least three to four months. About three weeks later. I to, uh, first of all, I told my wife, I said, when I, I heard from God, I heard God said it would be done in 90 days. And, and it, I mean, and f in the natural, you like, how in the world can this be done in 90 days? But God's faithfulness. In the midst of me moving and in, in that way, I am still in distress. I, I'm literally asking the lawyer to do something with in my heart and everything in me. I am like, I'm like, I'm a, I can't take this. Because if what if this lawyer is actually correct? But I had to remind myself of God's faithfulness. Remind myself of what he had done in the past in my own life. And if he said before that he was going to do something and he did it, why am I questioning now when he said that it would be done in 90 days? And when I said it happened in 90 days, about two, three weeks later, I get a call. We go, I call the lawyer. I say, man, I just got a, a call. I need to, to, to report to the office. He's like, what, what? She's like, what? No, no that's, that's not possible. Okay, uh, all right. So go to the office, okay? Uh, but I tell you what, I mean, there's such a backlog and all of this. 
It's probably going to take another three months after that. So don't be too excited. Okay? Go to the office. About another three weeks. Get a letter said, uh, we have an appointment for you. You need to come and see, see us in about another two weeks or so. Call the lawyer. And say, well, I got my appointment. That's impossible. That's, are you sure that it, I'm like, I'm sure. I'll send you a copy of it. And the lawyer is like, okay, listen, when you go over there, um, they're going to take you in one place. They'll take your wife in another place. Uh, they'll ask you the similar question and so forth from the immigration and all of that. And, and I'm telling you, it's probably you. I'm, I want you to be prepared. It's probably going to take you at least 45 minutes to an hour each. And then they'll bring you back together. And it's probably going to be another hour or so. But God and his faithfulness. We get there, we walk, and they call us. We walk in the office. The person starts asking one question, second question, and they stop, and he's like, look at my wife, and I was like, you know what? All right, I think I, I got the gist of this. You know, let's not waste time, all right? All right, thank you so much. You're good to go. Give me the paper, and I'm good to go. In less than 10, 10 15 minutes, God's faithfulness. He said it was going to be done in 90 days. He got done in less than 90 days because he does the exceedingly <laughs> above and beyond what we can imagine or even think. He does it. He does it. The fifth key, last and not least, walking in faith and obedience. Our response to distress should involve walking in faith and obedience to God's command. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. By trusting and obeying God's word, his guidance and direction, even in the midst of distress, you can experience his faithfulness and you can see him at work in your life. So when you're in distress, my brother, my sister, pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart to God. In um, the book of Mark, and if you can bring that back up uh, there, Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Let's go there, Mark 14. I want to show you something there when uh, we talk about pouring your heart before God. Because Jesus, our Savior, gives us an example right there. So, <coughs> it says that um, in verse 33, it says, He took Peter and James and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. This is, to put this in context, this is happening right before he is betrayed by Judas. Okay? And he takes the three with him, and he says to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful or distressed. 
even to death. And he tells them, stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground. And what did he do? Prayed. He poured his heart out to the Father. Jesus, our Savior, poured his heart out to the Father because he was in so much distress. The hour might pass from him and he asked that, hey, that the hour might pass. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. But here's the, the, the part that, that I love. See, he was in distress. He went, he prayed. He comes back to check on his disciple. And they're sleeping. But somehow, somewhere, something that, that's interesting to me is this. Because we see the next, on 39, he says, he went away and prayed and spoke the same word. So that tells me that from the moment he, when he left God's presence and he came back around his disciple, something happened between the time he spoke to the father to the time he got back to the disciple that caused him distress again. That he had to go back to the Father. It says, I mean, is your Bible says that? It says in 39, again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. This is why it's important to be careful who you have around you. Because sometimes the people that you have around you are the one who are causing you distress. I mean, you literally living, you taking something that you have heavy to the Father. And you took some, he took the three, he took them with him thinking that they're going to help him. They're going to pray with him. They're going to help take this load, this distress with them, off of him. So he goes to the Father. He comes back and they're asleep. And now they're causing him distress and he has to go back to the father and it says that he came the third time and said to them are you still asleep and resting who are the people you have around you who are literally you think they got your back gyb and they're asleep and resting and, and, and some of the distress you're feeling is literally because you have them around you. Mm. Then he came the third time. He asked them again, rise up and so forth. And immediately while he was speaking, at that point, that's when Judas showed up. So understand that in the midst of your distress, You have to pour out your heart to God. Fight the urge. Fight the urge to dwell upon whatever might be distressing you. Fight the urge. And one of the easy ways to fight that urge is literally to go into praise and worship. 
I mean, praise and worship will help you focus on God. It, 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 it's an avenue. It's, I, I think it's a system, praise and worship, that God instituted to allow you to come and lay down your heavy burden. And one thing he promised, he says, as you lay down your heavy burden at his feet, he will put on the garment of praise upon you. So resist the urge to dwell on whatever might be distressing you. Soak yourself in the promises of God. Rehearse. And you don't have to wait until you're in distress. Make a practice every day to rehearse God's faithfulness towards you. Stay in the word of God. Find out his promises. Find out what he says he will do for you. So that when adversity comes, you've got something inside of you that can come out that you can speak against it. Amen? Stop magnifying the source of your distress. Stop falling in the trap of catastrophic thinking. Focus on God's power to work on your behalf. Working all things together for your good and for his glory. God wants us to trust him. He wants you to know him in an intimate and personal way. And as you do so, he will he promise to get you out of whatever situation is plaguing you. There are really two options for, for really any human being, but for the believer when they're faced with distress. It's the, the first option is that distress can drive you away from God. Or distress will drive you to God. Paul said that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, as we were reading, Paul said that it caused us to no longer lean on our own ability, but to trust on God. So distress could have driven him away from God, but in this case of Paul, distress caused him to draw to God. So remember Everyone's journey and experience with God's faithfulness is unique. My experience and what I shared with you about how God has been faithful to me is totally different the way he has been faithful to you. And while you can take courage and strength in knowing what he's done for me, my charge to you is that you start trusting him. You start giving him the opportunity to show you in your own life how he can be faithful to you. Amen? And God's word, remember that God's faithfulness is a powerful source of strength. And that he promised to never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously and make this ministry outreach possible. Click the link in the description to give now or visit hcio.org slash podcast for more information. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Even tag us on social media at Harvest Church KC. Thanks again for listening.